Welcome to Sunday Schmooze with Rabbi Mendy Kievman from the Chabad House Jewish Community Center on Cedar Street in Milford. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a stimulating discussion of news and humor from a Jewish perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Rabbi Mendy. Good morning, Shavua Tov. Thank you for joining me this morning on Sunday's Schmooze. That has nothing to do with the word snooze. I know I got to apologize to some of our listeners. See, last week was Tisha B'Av, saddest day of the year. And I sent out an email and the subject line said, we're not gonna schmooze today. Now, the word schmooze means to chat, to kibitz, to hang out. And that's why our program is called Sunday Schmooze. But it looks like the wording, we're not going to schmooze today, sounded more like, let's not snooze today and let's schmooze. So, um, we did not have a show last week, but some people misread my words as let's not snooze, but instead let's schmooze. And we're concerned that they couldn't get the show last week. But this week, we're definitely not going to snooze, but instead we're going to schmooze. And I'm happy you're here to join me for our weekly ride as we schmooze through some Torah study and some of today's news stories that are very important. Let's begin by thanking God for our souls and for praying that our day and our week ahead should be what it's truly like. So if you have a yarmulke, and uh, go ahead, put it on your head or anything else that you can cover your head with, and let's say the first the Modani in Hebrew, repeat after me. Modah Ani Lefanecha Melech Chai Vikayam Shehezarta Bi Nishmasi Bechemla Raba Emunasecha. And now that we thank God for giving us our souls back and for giving us a new day and a new week. And that's why we started by saying Agutavach 
We should all have a good week and a healthy week filled with joy and passion. And most importantly, that we should see the blessings and goodness that, are in, that is in our lives. Cover your eyes with your right hand and say together with me, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuso Le'olam Va'ed. If you have a drink, please hold it in your hand and say it together with me, Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Ha'olam Shehakol Nihia Bidvaro. And lastly, hopefully you have some coins to put in the pushka. Grab the coin and put it in your Zaka box so that we know right from the onset of the week that the blessings we receive from God are going to be transferred and come through the blessings we confer on others and the charity and goodness and kindness that we give towards others. So yesterday, on Shabbos, we had a beautiful Kiddush. It was a Kiddush in honor of the yard site of Rima's um, father, Avram ben Aaron, as well as the yard site of Bracha's mother, Sarah ben Avraham, which is today. Her, her mother's yard site is today. And we bless her and all of us that Sarah should, have, uh, should, should pray for us and, and ask God to give us all the blessings that we need. And we should merit that Mashiach should come now and she should be back with us and celebrate this day together with us. So at the Kiddush, at the Fabrengen, before um, the, each of the uh, sponsors said a few words, so I said a l'chaim, and I talked about the interesting factoid that the Torah, when it tells us that we need to study Torah, the, we have actually a commandment to study. You know, the Jewish people have always been the people of the book, the people who studied Torah and to whom intellectual exercises have been the most important, one of the most important things of our lives. And yet, when the Torah gives us the command to study Torah, and it's done in the portion of Shema, which we read uh, yesterday in the Torah, and obviously we say it every day, one of the mitzvahs in the Shema is to say the Shema every day, twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening. And then it talks about love of God. It talks about education, teaching our children, studying ourselves, and then performing uh, the mitzvahs, specifically the mitzvah of tefillin and the mitzvah of putting on a mezuzah on our doorposts. So, the way it tells us the mitzvah to study Torah is in the context of our obligation to teach children. Now, obviously, we're told that you should teach them to your children, speak to them. So, 
What about the obligation for adults to study? Why is the adult's requirement to learn Torah only absorbed within the requirement to teach a child? So as I explained, uh, well actually we first went around the room and uh, everyone gave their insight as to what is unique about children. What unique attribute do children have that makes it a better way to study Torah? So I, I talked about this, this uh, study that I want to read to you. It's a, a study that NASA um, did in 1992. They had Dr. George Land and Dr. Beth Jarman develop a test which was designed to identify the capacity of divergent thinking and creativity. In other words, they wanted to explore and try to understand the true source of creativity. So they did this whole test, and, and, and thousands of, of different subjects were part of the test. But they were curious to see what the test results would look like if they tested a younger group of people. So they went and found 1,600 children between the ages of 4 and 5 years old, and they tested them. And here's an amazing um, outcome of this test. 98% of preschoolers were considered, you ready for this? Creative geniuses. And this was very surprising because as you move up the, the chain of ages, so by the time kids get to grade school, 10-year-olds, it's only 30% of them were considered creative geniuses. By the time they get to high school, 15-year-olds, it's down to 12%. And the same test was given to 280,000 adults. And can you guess how many of the adults were considered creative geniuses? I don't remember if I said it yesterday, but if I didn't, here's the unbelievable shocking number and that's less than two percent of the adults that were tested were considered creative geniuses less than two percent so it turns out that the really sad news here is that by the time we finish school we're much less creative than we were going into school and it's really bad news because creativity is one of the most in-demand skills that we need today. We know that in order to keep up with the future of work, we all need to be able to come up with new solutions to the new problems that come our way. And we can't do that if we don't have creative genius leading the charge. In other words, educating the future means that we can't do things the way they have always been done. So the question we have to ask ourselves, are all five-year-olds essentially geniuses who become numbskulls by the time they're 30? And the answer is, and a couple of people said it, I think uh, Jeff was one of them and possibly Saul was the other. The answer, that, the answer is that creativity is quashed by... 
acquired preconceived notions. It's quashed by past assumptions. And creativity is quashed by cultural and societal norms. In other words, the very rules that we put in place are exactly the reason for our um, drop in creativity. In short, we're getting in our own way. Our egos, our perceptions, our place in society, how we think others are viewing us, these are the things that are preventing us from revolutionary intellectual development. And young children, young children aren't yet encumbered by these issues. They haven't yet been corrupted by all, by all these issues that plague adults. When a child studies Torah, it's simply through the lens that this is God's word and nothing else. Similar to a child who goes to school. A young child in school at five years old, six years old, accepts what the teacher says. The teacher said it. That's why it's true. And as they get older, and they start questioning, well, this teacher? Eh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. She is living in the olden times. She doesn't understand our current um, um, modern society. So by introducing the general mitzvah of Torah study within the context of children's education, the Torah is instructing us that true success in Torah study is only achieved when we approach the Torah with childlike wonder, with a, a humility that children have and that adults seem to lose. But if you really want to grasp Torah, you need to have that humility and that childlike wonder. Because that childlike wonder helps us avoid distractions like how do we fit into societal norms? You know, if I study Torah, something in the Torah might clash with what I've studied in, in another discipline. We understand that it's God's word. And if it's God's word, it's important and relevant in every generation and in every society. And then the power of connection with God that Torah affords us, because when we study Torah, we're studying God's wisdom, that connection can be experienced in an optimal manner. I got a phone call last night from a dear friend. And he was telling me that his prayers were answered. I said, what, what prayers did you ask for that were answered? He said, well, I'm walking around my block. I'm enjoying the fresh air. I'm standing upright. So my prayers were answered. In truth, many times we're looking for and expecting something way different than what we need. And it's an awesome idea to be able to appreciate the blessings that we have. There's a great song by uh, Benny Friedman, and I'm, I was reminded of this by Bracha on Friday night because he came out with a recent, a new um, 
video of the song being sung. It's a great song with the, he, uh, the Russian title, Slava Boga Kharasho. Thank God things are good. Oftentimes, you don't realize that life is good. Life is great. It's a time to celebrate. And if we have that mindset, nothing can get us down at all. So indeed, how are you doing today? Or as they say in Russian, Kagdila? The answer is, or in Hebrew, it's Manishma. How are you doing? The answer is Baruch Hashem. Slava Boga Kharasha. Thank God things are good. Let's look at the blessings in our life and appreciate all that we have already. morning I hear my children laughing as they play the trees start singing without warning it's gonna be a wonderful day you know I got no patience for complaining to stop and fetch but all the bills I have to pay cause even when there should be sunshine but it's raining my feet will dance me to the crema anyway so my The blessings, they're coming, but you keep on running. Just stop and sing. Raz, dva, tri. Harasho, harasho, slava Bogu, harasho. Life is good, life is great. It's a chance to celebrate. Harasho, harasho. It's a party, it's a ball, and ain't nothing gonna get me down at all. Harasho, harasho, slava Bogu, harasho. Life is good, life is great. Atzilok is all the hate. Or if your pot of forest has gotten void Before you go and start to get all sad and teary There's a very special lesson to be learned Because not only when the sun is out and shining Or when you're acing everything you try to do The master plan is more than just a silver lining It's a golden world created just for you So how are the kids? We hope for the day when the whole world will stand up and say Kharasho, Kharasho, Slava Bogu, Kharasho From the bottom of my heart, from the finish to the start Kharasho, Kharasho, life is holy, life is pure And every note I sing it to you, I'm singing for Oh, oh, oh. 
Borussia. Yay, Bogo! Давай, горчики! So indeed, Slava Bogo Harasho. Thank God things are good. And when we're thankful for what we have, it also includes the fact that we're not jealous of what someone else has. In fact, in the Torah reading yesterday, we read the Ten Commandments. See, the whole book of Deuteronomy is the story, if you will, of Moses retelling what went on over the past 40 years. The going out of Egypt, the splitting of the sea, and as he talked about in the portion yesterday, the giving of the Ten Commandments. Now, the last of the Ten Commandments, we all know it. You, know, you, should, you shall not covet, covet. Should not be jealous. But the wording is very interesting. How God says it to us, and the way Moshe uh, uh, repeats it to us, is you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not cover your neighbor's house, nor his field, nor his manservant, nor, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, and anything that belongs to your neighbor. And the way that verse is structured is kind of strange, because in the beginning, it specifies they should not covet. And it goes through all those seven different things, their, their house, their, their field, their, their donkey, their ox. But then at the end of the verse, it goes back and generalizes and says, and anything that belongs to your neighbor. Why does it have to have that redundancy? Why not either say, you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor? And that would obviously include all the specifics. It would include their ox and their donkey and also their car and their bank account. And if, if that's not good enough, and the Torah doesn't want to rely on generalizations, then why should start by giving us the details and then end off with the generalization of anything that belongs to your neighbor? And the answer is that the word that the Torah uses to tell us at the end of that um, commandment that we shall not covet anything that belongs to our neighbor, the, the word is kol. Now, in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for the day brought to you by uh, the Armenians, kol actually has one, one of two meanings. It could mean anything, like we said, anything that your neighbor has, or it could mean everything that your neighbor has. And therefore, you can read this commandment as you shall not covet all of the different um, uh, uh, details, individual things that your neighbor has, his house, his ox, his ox, his donkey. And instead of saying and anything that your neighbor has, you shall not covet everything that belongs to your neighbor. By doing this, the Torah is giving us a very interesting life lesson. The Torah is not saying, you can't expect someone to not be jealous. When I walk into your home, I see your living conditions. I see your cars. I see your general lifestyle. How could I not become envious of that? The answer is, do not covet everything that belongs to your, to your neighbor. What the Torah is intimating to us is that it's easy to envy the home or the spouse, or the car of the neighbor. Yet the question you have to ask yourself is, do you covet everything that belongs to your neighbor? Are you ready to assume the entire life of your neighbor? 
to actually become him or her. You can't see a life as pieces of disjointed events and experiences. You can't pluck out one aspect of somebody's, somebody's life and say to yourself, I wish I could have his or her marriage. I wish I could have his or her career, his money, his home. Life is a holistic, integrated experience. Every life has its blessings and its challenges. Every life has its obstacles and its opportunities. And all of that, the obstacles, the opportunities, the blessings, the challenges, those all make up a single story. A story that begins with birth and ends with death. Every experience in our life represents one chapter of our singular, unique story. But we don't have the luxury to pluck out one chapter from someone's story without embracing their entire life journey. You know, I've said this before, I say it often. You know, there's a, there's, there's a uh, I forget what it's called. Maybe it's called grab bag or, or, or grab the gift. I, I don't recall, but there's a, there's a game that people play where everyone brings a gift and they throw it into a box and then everyone goes and pulls out one gift. In other words, getting the gift that somebody else brought. I just can't think of it. We've done it here uh, at Hanukkah years ago. Um, and, and everyone gets a gift to take home. Usually we, we make a, you make a, a, an amount that should be over $10 or under $10 or whatever it is. So everyone gets a, a decent enough gift. You know, if everyone came into a room, all of your friends, and they all took their life's challenges and blessings, their life's obstacles and opportunities, and they put them into a bag, and another Yiddish word for the day brought to you by the Kate's Financial Services, they put it into a peckle, into a bag, and they take that peckle and they throw it into a box, and everyone comes and grabs one peckle, one bag for themselves, somebody else's life's experiences. You open it up, and you look through it, and all of a sudden, when you see what that person's peckle is really like, you say, excuse me, I'm happy with mine. It's perspective. Sometimes seeing what someone else has seems like they have the better life. But then you realize that everyone's got a peckle. Everyone's got a bag filled with saris, with challenges, with obstacles. Despite the other person's blessings and opportunities, you realize, not despite, but because you see the other person's blessings and opportunities, you realize that you have them too. Yes, we all have challenges and obstacles, but we all have blessings and opportunities. So when you isolate one or a few aspects of someone else's life, it's natural to become envious. But when you become aware of everything that belongs to your neighbor, then your perception changes. Do you really want everything that's going on in his or her life? So, the next time you feel yourself coveting the life of the other, ask yourself if you really want to become that person. This past Sunday, I mentioned earlier, 
This past Sunday was Tisha B'Av, last week, and um, we commemorated uh, and mourned for the destruction of the temple, the two temples that were destroyed on that same day, 490 years apart, and uh, the exile and persecution that the Jewish people experienced since then. Someone came that evening with a t-shirt, and it, it, my mind is completely blank on the name of the song that was on that t-shirt. But it reminded me, and I said that I'm going to play a song from Avram Fried. The song is Kach Es Shali, which means take mine. And, and it, it's in Hebrew and Yiddish. There might be a little English in there too, I don't remember, but I'm going to play it and we'll see what happens. But I'll tell you what the, what the song means so you can appreciate it. It starts by saying, God, I heard that the third temple, you see the two, first two temples were destroyed and the third temple is going to be rebuilt when Mashiach comes. But the third temple won't be built from stones, but rather it will be built from tears. And then he continues in the song. And if all that you need is just one tear, please take mine. Kach es shali, a Hebrew word of the day. This is the second one already. Uh, brought to you by the Armenians. Kach means take. Et shali is mine. Please take mine. Take my tear, the tear that I shed. The last time I shed a tear. Take that and make that the last brick of tears that you need so that there should be no more tears in the world. Exile is hard, and we want God to hear us, our prayer and end our exile. So please, already, take my tear. Enjoy this. Kach es Shali. <laughs> Shashlishi, ain't no even me avonim, 
Talking about Yiddish and Yiddish words of the day that Kate's Financial Services brings to you each week. Yiddish is a marvelous language and it's subtle. There are fabulous words in Yiddish that have no good English counterpart. And one such word, there's a lot of them, but one such word that I want to talk about today is the word derher. I'll, I'll, I'll spell it for you in, in English. D-E-R-H-E-R. It's one word. Derher. What does derher mean? So when you want to say that you heard something, you would say the word her. As in, ich her. I hear. I hear what you're saying. Ich her der. I hear you. Ich is I. But when you want to say that you really got the message, the message, that it truly came across, that it strongly resonated with you and has impacted you in a real way, then you have to use another word. And that word is derher. It became part of you. It's one with you. You were impacted by it. A possible English equivalent might be that you, you heard to the end or that you got it. But it still does, it falls short from the real translation of the word derher. So in Yiddish you have the word her, which means to hear, and then you have der her. And they couldn't be more different. In the game of life, in our personal life and in our religious life, the name of the game is to der her. When you der her, then you're well on your way to having a, an amazing life. As I said, personally and religiously. 
So we, we talked about the Ten Commandments before, and as it's, it's written the second time in yesterday's portion, but it uses a unique phrase when it wants to express God's voice. The Torah tells us, interesting, that God spoke these words to all the Jewish people at the mountain, out of the fire, and the cloud, the darkness, and it says this interesting word, with a great voice which did not stop. What does it mean, a voice that did not cease or did not stop? So the Medrash gives a whole bunch of answers what that verse means when it says the voice, the great voice. If it's a great voice, what does it mean it, it didn't stop? You know, if a voice is really great, it goes really far. A loud voice, you hear far. So what does it mean, a great voice that did not stop? And one explanation is that the sound was heard and uh, was felt over the entire globe. But the truth is, a loud sound like that would have and should have produced a thunderous echo. And the miracle was that there was no echo. There was a loud voice, a great voice, with no echo. A great miracle indeed. But what's the point of this miracle? I can appreciate that the experience that took place at Mount Sinai was majestic. It was awe-inspiring. You had thunder, you had lightning that helped, you know, with the overwhelming sensory experience. But how does removing the echo contribute to that moment, to that drama? In fact, you might think an echo makes it sound even greater. I'm sure in Charlton Heston's uh, Ten Commandments, I should check this up and find out, but I'm sure there's a huge echo. God's loud voice echoing across the, 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 the desert. So what was the point of the miracle that there was no echo? Was God just trying to show off his miracle-making capabilities? Rather, the point was to show that to truly receive the Torah, to truly live a life of conviction, you must fully absorb and perceive God's word. It can't be the famous saying, in one ear and out the other. It must stick to you. It must be absorbed like that oil stain that you can't get out of your shirt. Let me explain. When does an echo sound? An echo sounds when there's nothing to absorb it. If you remember, the first time you moved into your house, when you walked into the house, the boxes are still unopened, the furniture is still on the truck, and if you yelled in your bedroom, the sound would automatically bounce off the walls and it would smack you back in the face. Why did that happen? Here's your, your uh, education in science. That's because there was nothing in the room to absorb the sound. So it bounces off the walls. But once the room is filled with a couch, a bed, a dresser, linen, way too much clothing, or the empty shoe boxes that you can't remember why you have them, but you still can't bring yourself to throw them out, then the echo disappears. Because there's enough stuff around to absorb the sound so it doesn't bounce 
around anymore, off the walls. As, as uh, Barry likes to say in Yiddish, fly from one wall to the other wall. And that is what happened at Mount Sinai. The word of God did sound across the whole world. It was a great voice, a loud voice. And the people listening and the world that heard it internalized these words. It absorbed them deep in their minds, their hearts, and their souls. They didn't spit it back. They didn't let it bounce off. They didn't, didn't let it you know, cruise on the highway of life, the highway of their mind and their heart, and then let it get off at the nearest exit to nowhere. Instead, it was saturated into them. It produced absolutely no echo. In other words, they didn't just hear the words of God, they dare heard the words of God. And it's not just at Sinai. It should be that way today. Today, Sunday, the 16th day in the month of Menachem Av, and every day. We need to cross the bridge from her to der her, from hearing to der herring it. Hasidim would, would often sit around the table in Fabring. They had Lachaim, they had some herring and crackers, and they would Fabring to the wee hours of the morning. And they would belabor this elusive idea that we must der her. Now, these people who were spending these hours fabrenging were pious people. And they were people who listened to the loftiest of discourses given by their Rebbe. And they spent hours in prayer and even more hours studying Torah every day. Yet they still wished to master the art of their herring. Because it's entirely possible to listen to how bad it is to harbor a, a hatred towards a fellow Jew. And then they go home and they yet cannot, they're unable to look at their obnoxious neighbor in the eye. In other words, they got stuck in the world of hair, in the world of hearing, and never graduated to their herring. So they talked about it, they heard about it, they singed about, they sung about the love <clears throat> and the need to not have any bad feelings towards a fellow, but yet couldn't bring themselves to actually doing it. You heard, you agreed, you resolved, yet you still can't just do it. There's a universe between understanding something or even agreeing with something and actually getting to that deep level to the point that you simply can't do different than what you resolve to do. And so at the Fabrengen, there's another, they have another heartfelt Lechayim, there's another round of Nigunim, another round of songs, another encouraging word all to get us to the point that we need to dare her. You know, people often resolve. It happens often on, on uh, New Year's, but oftentimes you resolve. You're going to start exercising. You'll quit smoking. You'll stop texting and driving. And yet, weeks later, they haven't taken their, their fancy new shoes, their fancy new sneakers out of the box. 
They're back to chain smoking, maybe behind the house where the neighbors can't see them. And they're still masters at texting the friend, I'll be there in 10, while driving 65 or higher on the highway. So what happened? Did they change their mind? They made a resolution. They're not gonna. They're gonna stop smoking. They're gonna stop texting and driving. Are they no longer convinced that exercise is good for the body and for the brain, or that smoking is harmful to their health, or that texting and driving is simply dangerous? Is that what happened? They forgot. They changed their mind. That's not usually the problem. They still hear. They still hear the message, but they have yet to dare her. Because when they do, once you dare her, then it's easy from there. The person who lost a loved one because that person was texting and driving, the person who had a heart attack because they smoked their whole life, they usually dare her the message. They truly get just how dangerous these things are in their very existence. So they simply, simply abstain. They know not to play with fire. But until you get it, it's only I hear. Ich her, I hear. To get to their hair is a tough job. But it is doable. There's no magic recipe. There's no magic recipe that's going to push you over that bridge to cross the bridge of her and der her. Only you know what it will take in your life to get to the point of der her. But I can tell you that there are definitely things in your life sitting on the edge of, her, of the her universe. And the moment you emphatically decide, and maybe it might take a lachayim at a fabrengen, but the moment you decide, enough, I'm going to finally mean it and I'm not just going to talk about it well that's when you've crossed that elusive bridge and I welcome you to the Derher universe and now you know why God made that miracle that there was no echo when he spoke the words of the Ten Commandments Shalom today we're going to talk about our dreams and how we can make them come true. We all know the story of the poor man who held an egg and dreamed of the great riches he would make when the egg would hatch and bring him a chicken, which in turn would bring him many more eggs, chickens, and great wealth. As he was dreaming, the egg fell from his hand and smashed onto the ground, smashing all his dreams in one moment. The egg and the chicken are like our dreams and reality. Our dreams are like the egg, fragile, fleeting. It takes time and patience until they hatch and bring us a chicken. If we're too busy with our dreams, they may smash like the egg instead of becoming a reality. On the other hand, without an egg, a chicken cannot be born. Our reality begins with our dream. So should we dream or should we not dream? And what to do when the distance between our dreams and our reality is very great? Once again, we will seek out the answer in King Solomon's wise words about the Jewish woman of valor. Zamemasa deva tikachehu, mipri chapeha nata karem. 
she considers a field and buys it. From the fruit of her handiwork, she plants a vineyard. Just as she thought about the field and dreamt about it, she followed through on that dream and purchased the field. The Alter Rebbe author of the Tanya explains that a person's dreams are a window into their subconscious, a window into their soul. Even if a person does not fulfill this dream of theirs, the dream itself is important, as it is an expression of the soul's yearning. Would you also like to turn your dreams into reality, like that wondrous Eshet Chayel? Allow me to share with you five tips that will help you. Number one, recognize your dream. Don't push it away as a fantasy. If you dream, you will aspire. Number two, be flexible. Remember, dreams and reality speak in two different languages. If we want our dreams to become reality, we must translate them into the language of reality. Number three, communicate. Talk about your dream. Tell God about your dreams, for only He can help you achieve them. Pray for their success. Number four, patience. Some dreams take longer than others, according to the laws of nature. As was the case with one woman who came to the Lubavitcher Rebbe with a request to be blessed with a baby. The Rebbe blessed her, but she was adamant, I want a baby now. The Rebbe smiled at her and said, it takes at least nine months. And number five, effort. There are people who spend their entire lives dreaming and hoping, thinking that their dreams will come true on their own. In order to fulfill our dreams, we must actively pursue them, taking practical steps to reach them. The effort is up to us. The results are in God's hands. When the Lubavitcher Rebbe was a child, a vision, a dream began to form in his mind. A dream of the world after the redemption. This didn't remain a childhood dream. The Rebbe dedicated his entire life to make this dream come true. He sent out thousands of his emissaries to all corners of the world to set up Jewish institutions and to reach every single Jew on this planet. All this in order to bring Mashiach, to make the redemption a reality. Let each of us do one more act of kindness, one more mitzvah, to finally make his dream a reality for us all. That was Ada Karavsky. Beautifully, beautiful rendition discussion on the fulfillment of our dreams. There's a great song by um, Eighth Day. We love that group. It's called Beggar Woman. How God loves the widow, the orphan, and the blind, and the needy who haven't got a dime. God loves the sickly. In his eyes, we're all the same. God, he loves you too in the sunshine and the rain. Day, she was sitting on the street Sorrow in her eyes Tin can at her feet Holes in her stockings And holes in her shoes She's an old beggar woman No stranger to bad news So I read in my pocket to give a bill or two in my heart I was trying to see what I could do she thanked me for the money I turned to walk away 
But I waited for a moment as she began to say God loves the widow, the orphan and the blind, the old and the needy who haven't got a dime. God loves the sickly, in his eyes we're all the same. God, he loves you too, in the sunshine and the rain. she came from don't know her at all but the wrinkles on her face kind of tell it all so reach in your pocket and give a bill or two and you could thank God in heaven that the beggar is in you God loves the widow Orphan and the blind, old and the needy, haven't got a dime. God loves the sickly, in his eyes are all the same. And God, he loves you too, in the sunshine and the rain. God loves the widow, the orphan. In his eyes were all the same And God, he loves you too In the sunshine and the rain God, he loves you too If you just call upon his name I'm not sure you heard this piece of news uh, it was last week. This uh, young man, 18-year-old Ellie Kligman, was on a bus with a group of his teammates who were on the Israel Olympics baseball team, and they were heading to Hartford, Connecticut. And on their way, he got a phone call that he was waiting for his entire life. It turns out that the Washington Nationals, that's a baseball team, just selected this uh, young man, this young kid, 18-year-old Ellie, uh, who lives in Las Vegas, and they selected him the 20th round in the Major League Baseball draft. And this is something very unique because when they selected him, Ellie became the first Jewish baseball player to be drafted by a Major League team with the understanding that Ellie will never play on Shabbos. And Ellie said this, the Nationals were fully aware that I won't play on Shabbos. I've always been very clear about that, and that is something that's not going to change. And he said that keeping Shabbos is for God. Now, there's no argument about putting baseball first and God second. It's just not going to happen. Ellie's commitment to God and Judaism is well known. He's, he's very comfortable with his observance of the Torah, and he's never played a game on Shabbos. Like a good Jew, he prays three times a day, whether he's in his hometown in Las Vegas or when he's on the road playing, he only eats 
kosher, and he makes time to study Torah every single day. And in fact, as should be the case with all of us, Ellie uses his baseball as a way to teach others about Judaism and Shabbos because they hear what he's not going to eat, he's not going to eat, and he's, when he's not going to play. And that teaches Jews and also non-Jews about the wonders and beauty of God and his Torah. It's definitely possible that his commitment to Yiddishkeit was an outgrowth of his amazing father, Mark. Now, I know Mark somewhat because he travels um, to uh, Boston often. He goes to the Cape. He's an attorney and he's a sports agent. And he helped instill his love, Ellie's love for baseball as well as for his Judaism. Now, Mark himself says that he hopes that his son will be able to expand on teaching people about God's Torah and his mitzvahs. And it turns out that he himself came closer to Judaism when he was involved as a, a law student. He was involved with Chabad at Tulane University. And he says himself that at first he had anxiety about becoming religious. There was, uh, he had the uncertainty of how people would, would uh, look at him and how would it affect his, his career, his social life, and obviously his future family. And especially the fact that he was so into sports, he knew Saturday was a big day. So he was, he was worried about becoming more religious. But he says, looking back, I think our family is a testament to a successful blending of these two worlds. And in truth, his, his whole life coming to closer to Yiddishkeit weren't steps. But he said he found that his yarmulke was like a magnet. So at first he didn't, he didn't wear it in public. But then, at some point, he bought some kosher Chinese food and he took it with him to the baseball stadium. And as he was eating, one of his uh, players that he's an agent for said to him in, you know, in his uh, Spanish English, he said to him, where's your little hat? In other words, where's your yarmulke? And that's when he realized that wearing a yarmulke is not going to be a, det a, a detraction. In fact, it's an attraction. Because wearing a yarmulke makes you mindful of who you are and what you're doing, that you represent God and you represent the Jewish people. So wearing a yarmulke actually brought about that he should have better interactions and more interactions with people. And hence, my, my discussion a few weeks ago about once the mask mandate is over, to now move that mask to our heads and have the yarmulke mask mandate so that we should um, uh, be able to be that representative of God. So I think it's an amazing story about Ellie being selected in the draft. And uh, I hope he continues to live up to the ideas and ideals that he has now and continues to bring joy and nachas to his family and to the entire Jewish people. You know, another upside of wearing a yarmulke is that oftentimes I get accosted in, in the positive way by people who say, oh, wow, you're Jewish. Can I shake your hand? I love Israel. You know, we have a lot of Americans who are such steadfast supporters of Israel, and I love being at the end, at that end of it where people are excited to celebrate Israel and me to be a representative of Judaism and Israel and just by wearing my yarmulke. You should try it too. But talking about Israel, we're going to Israel. That's right. We're going to join the land in Israel 
uh, I'm sorry, land and spirit trip to Israel. And I invite you to join us on this trip. It's going to be a great trip of going in March of 2022. So you have plenty of time to prepare yourself and get ready for this amazing trip. It's a trip, even if you've been, to, whether you've been to Israel or you've never been to Israel, this is a trip you want to go on. To learn more about this trip, go to our website, gatchabad.com. And if you're really tech savvy, you can write gatchabad.com forward slash Israel 2022. So it's gatchabad, G-O-T. C-H-A-B-A-D dot com. And you can click on the banner or add the forward slash and write Israel I-S-R-A-E-L 2022. And you'll see all the information. So check out the um, itinerary, the dates, the, the accommodations. It's a first class, first rate trip. We did this trip together as a community in 2014. And now we're doing it again. And we invite you to join us. This is open to everybody. You don't have to be a member at Chabad. You don't have to be somebody that goes to Chabad. It's not for religious Jews. This is for any Jew that would like to take part in an amazing Israel experience. One that you're guaranteed to remember for a lifetime. GodChabad.com and check it out. One more thing, very, very important. I forgot to mention earlier. We're having an amazing lecture. A pre-holiday inspiration with Rabbi Yossi Jacobson titled, A 2020 Vision for a 2021 World. As you know, in 2020, starting in 2019, but in 2020, the world has changed. The question is, have we? And we need to have 2020 vision in such a time. So I invite you to join one of America's most uh, amazing Jewish scholars in Torah and Jewish mysticism as he's going to speak to our community on Sunday, August 22nd at 7 p.m. And this is an opportunity to Join us in person or on Zoom. Rabbi Jacobson will be um, will speak to us virtually, live, and you can come here and join us in person to have some desserts and to celebrate with us as we get ready. It'll be two weeks before Rosh Hashanah and to get ready for the high holidays. And the Q&A, the questions and answers, will be taken from um, the audience in, uh, in person, the audience that are going to be in person at Chabad. You want to join us, just go to our website, gotchabad.com, G-O-T-C-H-A-B-A-D, and register so you can join us for this amazing event. Again, it's going to be on Zoom or in person. And remember, your next deed will change the world, so make it a good one. L'chaim! You've been listening to Sunday Schmooze with Rabbi Mendy Kievman from the Chabad House Jewish Community Center on Cedar Street in Milford. For more information on the Chabad House, including upcoming events, adult programs, Hebrew school, and more, visit gotchabad.com. That's G-O-T-C-H-A-B-A-D.com. Shalom.